we've been doing a series on parables. For Bri, how many weeks has it been now? At least 12, I was going to say 9. 9 to 12. Okay, so we're, and we only have a few more weeks left. Yes, 3. Okay. Um, so yeah, we've been doing a series on parables. And as Spiel's just read today, we're going to do the persistent widow from Luke 18. Um, so it's parable time again. <laughs> I have found these stories fascinating and very challenging on many levels. Um, they're stories of sheeps and coins and yeast and fathers and sons, and um, yet these very ordinary, everyday things have revealed so much about the character of God. And um, I'm really weepy. I should just warn our visitors that. <laughs> um, so, but truly, they have been challenging. They have been surprising. And um, I have to admit, generally, when I have read parables, I've simply just wanted to solve them. Like, there's something that I feel like, okay, I want to sort of do an English lit analysis and sort of read through and be like, this character is this person, this represents that person, and then sum it up with like, and the moral to this story is great. And now I've got that, and I'm going to apply that to like Heidi's to-do list today. I'm going to be that in all circumstances, relationships, and situations, and fabulous. Um, However, um, I think through this series, I have been so challenged to not do that, to not sum it up, sum it up or try and immediately um, just put it in a neat little package. But I've been wanting to struggle a, a little more with them and um, just read them out loud. Um, there's been something really challenging about just reading them out loud, um, engaging with them and holding them sort of a little looser instead of just trying to solve them. And um, I think my prayer has just been asking Jesus to help me rehear them. I grew up hearing these. I've heard them all through college, all through 20s, all through 30s. And, and I want to rehear them with, with new ears and see them with new eyes. So that's been my prayer for all of us today, um, that we won't just look at these parables as like, what's, what's the moral? What's, what's the good I can do with this? Um, but say, Jesus, what is the hidden, unwavering, challenging truth that you want to plant in my heart and shift my life with today. Um, so on that note, um, let's just start. The, the really interesting thing, because this doesn't happen with all of the parables, is that right from the get-go, Luke gives us the purpose of the parable. In verse 1, it says, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So there is a very direct, like, Here's, here, I love it, babe. <laughs> You're cheering me on. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's something that he's very direct with us from the get-go. And not all of the parables do that. Um, so the parable is about praying at all times and not losing heart. And this parable also, just to give a little context, it flows out of a discussion that has happened just in the chapter before um, in 
chapter 17, um, verse 22, it says, um, Jesus has said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long. You will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. So we've got some context. That's the backstory. I'm just going to pray. Take a pause. And as I said, um, I am guilty as anyone to want to sum this story up. But Jesus, um, we pray that you would help us open our ears, that you would help us open our eyes, that you would just soften our hearts, and that we would be open and willing vessels to hear what you have to say for us today, just as individuals and as a community as a whole. We ask this in your precious name, amen. So I'm praying he'll crack open something new for us. Um, Okay, so in verse 2, it says, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. This judge would have been a local official who was generally pretty accessible. Um, He was the person who made decisions, had the authority over folks. Um, He's the kind of person that the powerless people were supposed to go to, and he would sort of sort of dictate and say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Um, But this judge, as we just read, said he didn't fear God, and he didn't care about God. We're also told that he didn't respect man, and he had no concern for other people. So I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty scary person to approach. (laughs) And would not give me a whole lot of hope. So I don't know if he had totally revealed um, the secrets of his heart, but my guess is if those are the things that you have in your heart, it's pretty hard to hold that in for a while. (laughs) So um, this is who this woman, the widow, has to go to. In verse 3, it says, There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. So again, a widow in that city, a widow during that day and age was someone extremely vulnerable, um, didn't have an advocate for her. Um, She was obviously in a really difficult spot. Um, And socially, she was pretty powerless. Um, No male figure to defend her. And lots of people who were capable and able to take advantage of her and again with no one to protect her um we don't know it doesn't say exactly what the legal issue is but we know that she has an opponent so someone who is out for her and so she pursues the only course of action um, which is looking to this judge who we have already made very clear is not the kind of judge that you would want um to have hear you out and um so the these are, these are the stakes. And um, again, to me, it just feels really hopeless. So she doesn't get any protection at first, which is clear, because she keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. And um, so in verse 4, it says, For a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. 
So let's judge again. There's just no motivation of kindness, no motivation of justice. And he is a judge. Um, no mercy. He seems to genuinely have just no interest in her or doing good. Um, but eventually he's forced to change his mind and he doesn't change his mind because he fears God or respects man. He changes his mind because the widow has bothered him enough. <laughs> and um, I, one of the things that I thought was interesting, the phrase wear me out in the NIV, it's translated as she will come out and attack me. Um, it literally means to strike under the eye, um, which gave me the image of like a black eye. And generally when someone is given a black eye, um, I think it has sort of a sort of shaming sort of idea to it. Something that you feel like, like somebody's reputation they've gotten in some, like in a bar fight. And it's like, okay, they got in a little tiff squabble and this judge clearly didn't want to be put in that category. Um, his reputation, he didn't want damaged. So the pressure just increased on him as people saw his failure to do what was right. So she wore him out with persistence. In verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? What did the unrighteous judge say? Essentially, he said that he would grant the widow's request because of her persistence. And then Jesus moves from the example of the judge to God and asks us a question. He says, will not God bring about justice for his people who cry out to him with persistence? And I want to pause because I think we all know the answer, but I really want you to just take a moment and in your heart of hearts, answer that for yourself. Will not God bring about justice for his people who cry out to him with persistence? Jesus' logic goes, I think, a bit like this. If it's the case that an unrighteous judge who doesn't care about the widow will eventually give justice to the widow because of her persistence, how much more is it true that God, who loves us and who cares about us, will bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him with persistence. Again, I feel like we know the answer to that, but um, I want to take some time to sort of unpack and unfold. And again, truly ask ourselves, like, what is my heart's answer to that? So the conclusion of this in verse 8, it says, I tell you, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find, will he find faith on earth? I do believe God will bring about justice and quickly. I think that Jesus is saying once that proper time has come, he will. And will he find that faith that continues to look to God and hold on to God with trust in all difficult circumstances? And of course, again, this just invites us to examine our own hearts. Um, 
I want to talk, again, just sort of define prayer. So we've kind of gone through the whole parable and unpacked it and given it a little context. Um, but we're talking about persistence and persistence in prayer. Um, I love Dallas Willard's sort of definition of this. He says, a person who prays effectively is a person who is persistent in prayer. I believe the most adequate description of prayer is simply talking to God about what we're doing together. Again, talking to God about what we're doing together. That immediately focuses the activity where we are, but at the same time, it drives the egotism out of it. Requests will naturally be made in the course of this conversational and dialogue walk. Prayer is a matter of explicitly sharing with God my concerns about what he too is concerned about in my life. And of course, he's concerned about my concerns, and in particular, that my concerns should coincide with his. This is our walk together, and out of that walk, I pray. That's all Dallas Willard. Um, But I just, the, the way that he describes this about talking to God about what we're doing together, there's, there's connection. <laughs> there is something dynamic. I mean, you all know a conversation that you have when it totally lays flat and you're like, hmm, okay, and you're trying to find a way out of that conversation. But this is a conversation with the God of the universe who made you, who created you, so who knows you more intimately than anyone else whether you have chosen to reveal and be intimate with him, it doesn't really matter. He, <laughs> he knows you. He knows you better than anyone. And so prayer is an opportunity, a dynamic opportunity, to be in conversation with him about what he wants to do together with you. I want to talk about three four. Sorry, four. I started with three, and you'll laugh when we get to number four, because Tyler, after hearing my three, added number four. Um, And if you know him, I think you'll appreciate it. Um, So we've talked about prayer, but what keeps us from praying persistently? Rebellion, ignorance, apathy, and cynicism. I think those are four things that often keep us from praying persistently. Rebellion, ignorance, apathy, and cynicism. So I'm going to unpack those just a bit. But um, So first, rebellion. Um, essentially, that we just feel like we don't need God's help. Um, we tend to think that we can do it. We're self-sufficient. I've got it figured out. I know most of you in this room pretty well. I don't think there's anybody in here that is consciously going about their life and it's like, I got it, no problem, don't need you at all, God. But oh my goodness, that attitude is so easily, well, it just so easily creeps in. And I I literally can find myself, and I know I've shared this before, but going through the day and when I encounter a challenge or a difficulty, it's like, oh, don't worry, God, I don't have to bother you with that one. I've got that one. But these are the things I need to hand over to you. It's embarrassing to admit, but it's true. And so I think there's so much of, again, our society that is the 
can-do spirit. Um, and it's just so easy for that attitude to creep in and for us to not recognize um, that we desperately need God. And the reality is we're all like this widow. We all have something that we need to bring to him. Um, secondly, ignorance. We don't know. We don't know what God wants to do. And again, that may be some of us some of the time or some of us all of the time. But um, I think, in all honesty, that people who pray persistently are people who generally have some clarity about what, what God is up to in the world. And I don't mean that they can read everybody's mail all the time or they know exactly what's going to happen in every situation, but somebody who is in persistent prayer, um, they understand the things of God. They understand what the scriptures say. They know what his promises are. Um, again, I, I, I grew up reading the Bible, having quiet times, and um, I've been in a Bible study the last three years that th there's something very specific, like I mean, it constantly has us in the scriptures, and not just like I'm following through Luke now, I'm following through John, it's like cross-referencing all the time, and I feel like I have experienced in a whole new way what it is to truly understand, like what God's heart is, like again, what his promises are. And in terms of like being motivated and challenged and inspired and encouraged to pray, it's like, oh, I, I, I get the things that Jesus cares about because he talks about them right here. And I know the things that he says, hey, just let that go. Um, and I know what he promises me and I know what he doesn't promise me. So Again, I think something that keeps us from praying persistently is ignorance, is just simply not knowing what God wants to do. Um, hey, Gerald. <laughs> um, third, apathy. Um, we just simply don't care what God wants to do. Um, if you find yourself not caring about the things that God cares about, and again, I, I think that's a really real a real thing. Um, I think all of us can name at least a few things that just our first response is not like, oh man, I am so excited to get on my knees and pray until the Spirit says stop. <laughs> to go and go and go in prayer on that, right? Like, I think we all, we all have those things, and that's because we're human, and that is okay. Um, but I feel like a challenge with that is simply to just first confess it and then invite God into that space and be like, my heart is not, my heart's not there. I just, either A, I don't really know what to pray, B, I don't really have a heart for that, um, and I just believe that God will eventually grow that heart in you. Um, Dallas Willard also has a really great thing to say about this. He said, prayer simply dies from efforts. Prayer dies from efforts to pray about good things that honestly do not matter to us. The way to get to meaningful prayer for those good things is to start by praying for what we're truly interested in. The circles of our interests will inevitably grow in largeness, in the largeness of God's love. 
Many people have found prayer impossible because they thought they should only pray for wonderful but very remote needs that they actually had little or no interest in or even knowledge of. So start with the things that you care about. Pray persistently about those things. And then lastly, cynicism. <laughs> My dear husband added this one. <laughs> and um, and it's, a real, it's a real thing. Um, cynicism, the belief that nothing will happen, so why bother? The belief that nothing will happen, so why bother? And again, I think this one gets me <laughs> because generally a person who is cynical has gotten there because they have believed, they have hoped and then they have felt disappointed or they felt like that hope did not reveal the results that they were hoping for. <laughs> um, so I think cynicism is a true barrier and keeps us from praying persistently. So I want you to, again, just take a pause and just say, Holy Spirit, please reveal, are there one of these things, one of these four that you want to deal with in my heart? Do I think you don't, I don't need your help? Ignorance that I actually just don't really have an idea of what you're wanting to do and I need to take time to actually dig in and figure that out? Or apathy, I just don't actually care. It's just, it's not my circle, it's not my world and I am so distracted by what is. Or cynicism the belief that nothing will actually happen anyway. This is my last little bit and um, to kind of conclude us. And I need to sort of just give the disclaimer that this is, I actually just feel like what God really put on my heart um, with this parable. And um, I feel like there are people that are far more um, qualified to talk about this. And um, there's actually a lot, by the way, if you look this parable up, there are a lot of different interpretations as to how to hear this parable. And um, so I encourage you to go check some of those out because um, some of them are pretty intense and beautiful. Um, again, I didn't feel like they were what God was sort of leading me to share with our group. But, um, but something that I did feel put on my heart was, you know when you, you've known something for a really long time, for forever, and then somebody just sort of like rephrases it or um, introduces it sort of at, from a new angle or at a new light, and all of a sudden you have this like aha moment and you see it differently. Um, so last week we actually did some prayer time together and I had a dear old friend, pray something for me. And um, the friend prayed specifically that I would be faithful to receive God's love. And that phrase, that I would be faithful to receive God's love, just totally struck me. And I think... Um, I often think about whether I am being dutiful, if I am being faithful to God. And I think I also think of God 
as a very faithful God. It's something I feel like I acknowledge all the time and I think about it as like we're doing the things for each other. I'm being faithful because I'm doing the things. I'm being obedient and he's doing the things for me. He's doing the things that he promised. Um, But in her description, it was talking about how I can be faithful to simply just pause and receive from him. And then I started thinking about this parable. And I was like, this parable, we, th- we talk about it, yes, as though it's about persistence and it's about prayer and it's about hope. This woman who went to this horrific man who was esteemed as a judge, she went over and over and over persistently. And finally he was like, oh my goodness, yes lady, I just want you off my back. And so I know a lot of interpretations are like, so of course, if this horrible man would do this for this widow, would not God do this for his beloved children? I thought, well, yes, but I think that another way that we can look at this is it's also about God's persistence with us. That God's persistence with me is what actually causes me to then be persistent to him. We often don't fear him the way that we should. (laughs) We often don't care for his people the way that we should. Um, But I think we finally become worn down by a God who persistently loves us. And I think we often can kind of confuse prayer as a way to manipulate God. Um, But I think persistent prayer can simply be a posture in which in which we finally become worn down by God's persistence. And God's persistence in loving us. God's persistence with beauty. God's persistence for truth and for justice. God's persistence in forgiving and for being known. God's persistence in being faithful and always, 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 always bringing life out of death. And so to pray is to connect ourselves, to connect to this persistent, loving God. Images are really helpful for me. Um, and I loved this one. It's a New Testament scholar named Fred Craddock, and he describes this process of persistent praying by which a person is hammered, hammered through long days and long nights of prayer into a vessel that will be able to hold the answer when it comes. So again, the process by which a person is being hammered through long days and nights of prayer into a vessel that will be able to hold the answer when it comes. I think in the world we live in, um, this is no surprise, um, nothing new to anyone. It's a world of individualism, of alienation, of apathy, I think that prayer is just radically about 
connection. <laughs> it's, it, it's to live not unaffected by what is happening in other people's lives. When I pray for someone, when I pray for you, I can't help but be affected by what's going on in your life and what God wants to do in your life. I think when we pray on one another's behalf, we become connected to that person through God. We become connected to God through that person. And these connections, this, this is how God does his work. It's how he's getting stuff done. <laughs> um, and I think it's not always the things that we have on the forefront of our mind as to what needs to be done right here, right now, but it's the stuff, the stuff of redemption, <laughs> of bringing things from death to life. That's how he gets it done. Um, in John, right before Jesus' death, um, he prays to the Father, and he says, this is his prayer, that they may be one as we are one in them and you in me, that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and you have loved them even as you've loved me. That is an awesome prayer to have someone pray for you while they're dying an excruciating death. And I just think again, talk about persistence. <laughs> He's ready to die. He is in so much pain. Talk about persistence. <laughs> And so this very prayer he's praying is about connection, <laughs> that we might know, that we might know love and completely, completely be one. We're connected by prayer to each other and to God. And I think the more that we see suffering, the more we experience injustice, um, the more we pray. And the more we pray, the more connected you are to that suffering. And the more connected you are to the suffering, the more connected you are to Jesus. And then lastly, I just want to ask what, again, what keeps us from connecting? We've talked about what keeps us from being persistent, what keeps you from connecting. And I think, essentially, it's just shaking off our old understandings and our old ways and habits. Um, I think, for me, um, the sort of dominant church model of there being um, just a real hierarchy in prayer, sort of the, oh God, you are so far above us and we are so down below. And there, God is holy and he is perfect and we are not. Um, Jesus says, where I go, you go. <laughs> he, he was the God incarnate. I just, this kept going over and over in my head. I was like, incarnation was about erasing distance. He came down. He erased that distance. He said, I'm not just going to rule from the heaven. I am going to come down and be Emmanuel, God with you. It was about creating more connection. He is a God of connection. And he broke almost every rule to be connected. Um, and his prayer then was for unity. Again, connection with one another. And I think we're often fine to stay in our
places of connection um, that we're all individually sort of satisfied with. We all have different levels of comfort with connection. And um, for good reason. We all have different stories and different experiences. Um, but no matter what your reasons are, I just think Jesus, the gospel, it just want to blow those reasons just out of the water. Like, again, not that he doesn't care about those specifics, but at the end of the day, there is no reason that we shouldn't be able to be seeking after connection with us or with Jesus. Did I lose you on that one? Sorry, I did a little stumbling and I, I saw a few kind of confused faces. But um, yeah, that there's just simply no reason for us not to be connected. And if you're, if you're struggling, if you've got them, he wants you to bring those things to him persistently so that you can find that connection. I just think, again, it's his persistence that propels our persistence. Kind of like when we know that we are loved, like that's what propels our obedience. (laughs) Not just duty, (laughs) but it's that love. And so it's his persistent pursuit of us, faithfulness to us, to forgive us, to just rain down, pour down love and grace upon us. That that is why we should be persistent in prayer to him. I'm going to end with this quote. It said, For these threads of prayer, which connect us to God and to one another, and even to our enemies, are how God is stitching our broken humanity back together. So church, so mercy town, pray without ceasing and do not lose heart. For God has some stuff to do.